This is Table Talk 6.5 from the lads at Late Afternoon Gaming. We're starting, as always, with the Ombudsman Report, followed by answering some questions you may have had, like what it means to be an elite DM, and what it is we mean when we say Delta Green. We also now have a subreddit. Head over to reddit.com slash r slash lateafternoongaming to join the incredibly small community discussion. With that out of the way, please enjoy some Table Talk. So I'll go ahead and get started with the Ombudsman report here. So during Table Talk last time, uh, while Nerf was talking about clerics, I said that they were faith-based casters, which is not really precisely correct. Faith isn't a stat in D&D, so the technical nature of their casting ability uh, is that it's based on their wisdom stat. Um, as for the source of their magic, they fall into the divine magic camp, uh, which includes uh, paladins, druids, and rangers. The other kind of casting, uh, which is what sorcerers, wizards, warlocks, bards, and some others use, is arcane magic. Uh, in 5th edition, there's no actual difference between the two in terms of functionality. It's just a, just a flavor thing. Uh, I believe in previous editions, there was actually some sort of difference, um, but not anymore. I was in Dark Souls mode when I was saying faith-based, because that's an actual stat in Dark Souls. You know, I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. Right, because you're a, a true gamer. Mm-hmm. No, it strikes me, Ombudsman, that a significant amount of the Ombudsman report is correcting previous Ombudsman reports. Well, and, and that's that's actually no mistake, because, um, or I, I guess I should say it's not surprising. Here's the thing, it's because Shepard runs the Ombudsman reports, and I run the, the sessions, right? And so even though the sessions are, like, way longer and more complex, they're nearly flawless. Uh, because my my hand is on the wheel the whole time. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but that was actually not during the Ombudsman report. That was when we were just talking about our characters. So, uh, facts check yourself, Jack. I don't think that's true. No, that's my truth. Oh, okay. <laughs> during the session, uh, we remembered that Nerf had a D20 that he could use against me, Shepard, uh, at any time and guessed that it had come from session two. Uh, this was after I had delivered a line that was cooler than what Duncan had wanted me to say, so he it got wasn't. embarrassed and punished yeah. me for it. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. But that, that, that guess ended up being correct. Um, careful listeners may have noticed that I was rolling really hot last session. Uh, I wanted to bring this up because I was reading some of the posts on the subreddit D&D Horror Stories. I uh, wanted to bring this up because a lot of those stories revolve around players who roll suspiciously well all the time. <laughs> um, we do public roles in Foundry as players, uh, and usually Duncan does them too, uh, as the DM. Usually. There was one notorious incident with a critical. I'm getting to that. So uh, so there's no real way for me to cheat uh, based on the system that we have. Uh, this is a good thing because, as Duncan will confirm, I tend to be a bit of a power gamer. Just a, just a slight bit. Slight bit. So of all yeah. the people at the table, I'm probably the most inclined to lie or cheat in order to, to have things go my way. Uh, having the roles be public takes that ability away from me, which means I don't really think about it. So it tends to be a good thing. So all that is to say, though, the fact that I was rolling really well last session and that Jack was rolling really poorly, coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> On that subject, uh, I did give Duncan a bunch of shit for hiding that one roll uh, from session three, and Jack just brought it up again, uh, where the hag got a critical roll on Light of Dawn. Mm-hmm. I'd like to state for the record that it's it's pretty standard for the DM to roll p- privately and the players to roll publicly. Um, the DM role is, it's different than the role of the player. So it's not really like, it's not a double standard for DMs to like hide their roles. DMs need to have some leeway uh, in case they need to make alterations to what's going on because something got set up poorly or something unexpected happened um, and things are about to be ruined by fate. Um, so Generally, I support the idea that DMs shouldn't have to tell players, you know, what their roles are. Duncan tends to roll publicly for this, um, and that's cool and all, but that's that's not normal and it's not necessary. So, bullshit aside, we do trust uh, Duncan to make the right call with that kind of thing. Well, I mean, uh, you should speak for yourself, and the rest <laughs> of us will have our own opinions. <laughs> sure. So, I actually, I don't know what I clicked for that role <laughs> that made it private. And I'd didn't like realize it was private until you guys brought it up, and then didn't realize my other roles were public until you just brought it up. 
So I, I so, do know what you pressed, but I'm not going to tell you because I think this whole situation is really funny. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to any listeners out there that think my ability to kill player characters is constrained by the roles that are coming out, it's not true. Uh-huh. But, you know, also the, the idea that I would allow, you know, any kind of Magna Carta bullshit that would restrict my power as a godlike DM is, is silly. I have a divine right to manipulate roles or just ignore them. And uh, that, that being said, that was a no shit 20. And I laughed when I saw it. I also, I wasn't even, like, I expected you guys to go to the windmill, but I forgot that hags were challenge rating five. And I think they're like <laughs> challenge rating seven when they're in a coven. And there are three of them. Uh, and I think you guys were level two at the time. Yep. Yeah. So once you went in there. It's a fair fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh. Yeah. Cause I mean, there were four of us and three of them. So really the levels even out at that point. <laughs> yeah. The action economy should have saved us. Right. I, I don't remember if I said this during table talk, but I guess it's worth mentioning again here. I didn't pull my punches really there. Uh, the, there is some debate about, I guess, how aggressive you make your NPCs or, or your monsters. Like, um, if you down a character, do you go for the kill because they can't go get away? And, or if you down a character, should the, the enemy, you know, make a beeline for the next character that still poses a threat? Uh, I always go case by case. In this case, you know, the hags are kind of a they're, they're known they're a known problem, um, but they're a problem that people put up with because they want those dream pastries, and so they they're already you know obviously like in the trade of or they're you know abducting children or they're getting people's children somehow um, probably in exchange for dream pastries and they don't want to draw any more attention to themselves than they already are so you know the the way i was thinking about it is that is that is an enemy that doesn't stand much doesn't really gain anything from killing something that already doesn't pose a threat to them it just draws attention to you know if you were going up against a troll different story, right? If you just enrage it and it clubs you and you fall over, it may club you again. So I I, I play it case by case, monster by monster and in this case, you went up against something that was not incentivized to just murder you. Uh, but sure. it, it totally rolled a, a crit and did like 27 damage. Sure. And Which fun. conveniently was the exact amount of health that I had at the time, I think. Yeah. Um, or no, I had 20 at the time. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, for our podcast statistics, uh, we are now up to 170 total downloads. Per, per episode. Per episode. Uh, this week, Canada entered the chat. Nice. So to our Canadian listener, I say hello and bonjour. Please tell your friends about Late Afternoon Gaming. And then last note, uh, after or in between... No, 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 excuse me. It was at the end of the session... Duncan noted that he and I tend to talk way more than Jack and Nerf during our table talk sessions. So for this one, uh, Duncan and I are going to mute ourselves uh, and let those two do all the talking. So Duncan, go ahead and mute yourself and take it away, gentlemen. I'm, I'm a beta male, so this isn't going to work out very well. <laughs> Nerf, could you, uh, could, could you, could you top? Uh, sure. Um, so how about that ludicrous display last night? Uh, it was pretty ludicrous. What was on yeah. the display? You know, that's the thing about Arsenal. They always try to walk it in. Exactly. I love the IT crowd. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I could beat you out with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bacardi and Puke. Bacardi and Puke. Hey, hey Shepard, so how, how long did you just last? About 10 seconds? Uh, listen, when <laughs> IT crowd comes up, I was going to I was gonna hop in either you way. Can't no, I actually, no, yeah. I, I have a lot of material to work through in this table talk. Oh, great. So, okay. upon... Listening to the podcast of the last episode, I realized that, you know, at the end when you guys were exploring uh, the, like, the barn area, uh, and then you went upstairs into the hidden areas of the Blue Water Inn, um, you were expecting to find hidden knowledge, because that is what you were told you would find there, and I, I don't know how I missed several... <laughs> okay. Several so I was points curious of, like, about this. knowledge. Not, you know, people saying stuff like knowledge, and I just got my notes mixed up, and I gave you the sun sword instead. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> not gonna retcon it. We're just gonna roll with it. Okay. Because I like that sword. And uh, you know, now we have to wonder why did she get it wrong, uh, or did she lie? I don't know. But that, that's uh, this canon now. We're we're gonna play it. Okay. Another thing. Yeah, I, I think I think a weaker DM would retcon, but I'm not going to. Fuck it. I said it, and I must have said it for a reason. And I think we should all assume it was a good reason. Even if you don't know what it is. Even if I don't know what it was, I think we should assume that it was for a very good reason. I'm glad that you were so confident in your notes that even when I was directly quoting the clues, you were like, this is probably fine. And and multiple times. He was not quite. No, just blasted straight through it. (laughs) You know what was probably happening, though, is I I, want to say, you know, you guys were getting close and I thought, Oh shit! What is this? What does this even look like again? Like, what are the stats? And I was clicking around trying to find the the link to put up or something like that. You know what I mean? And so, whenever I wasn't talking, I was just distracted by trying to pull up references. Classic DM not listening to his players. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's another. I actually have a correction I wanted to make. Oh my! And ombudsman, you should feel bad about this one. Uh, we, we were talking about D and D influences. And given we were specifically talking about podcasts, but I forgot to mention my number one influence, and that's fear of girls. Fear of girls. You know, it's funny that was actually on my tabletop topics. I was my question was, what is an elite DM? So, uh, so here we go. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the origin of fear of girls is. I saw it as a YouTube video, but I think it probably predates YouTube. It is this very funny. I, I don't know. What you would call it kind of a sketch, I guess. Um, about this this pair of misfits. It's like a fake documentary kind of thing. Kind of, documentary. yeah. And it it's short. You know, it's 15 or 20 minutes. But it's these two friends that are just caricatures of people who play D&D. And it's a DM and, and a, one DM and one player. And their life is consumed by their game. And it's this very stereotypical tropey D&D game and the DM Doug Douglason uh, refers to himself as an elite game master uh, and says something like you know the the themes or the techniques or something that he uses are simply too advanced for the hobbyist gamer right but uh, it's a it's a treasure I think it has one maybe like two follow-on videos which aren't nearly as good they're not bad but they're they're nowhere close as good as the first one i remember watching them and enjoying them they just didn't impact me the way the first one did which is right very, like funny and perfect uh and so i had i now often refer to myself as an elite dm and that's that's what i mean yeah it's a fair description because you do you are reminiscent of that character what'd you say doug douglason yeah well, I actually, so they, they're playing like what's obviously supposed to be a really erotic scenario. Uh-huh. Um, in one like of the pleasure which, dungeon or something. Yeah, which just adds to the weirdness. And I looked it up. Uh, it's called the Pleasure Prison of uh, the Bethuvian Demon Whore or something like that. And <laughs> I, I looked it up on, I think I looked it up on Drive Through RPG. It's, you know, someone. You know, either just made this on their own or acquired the rights to it and, and, you know, made it, I assume, in collaboration with whoever made that video. And I only saw one review of it, like one comment, which was clearly written by someone who had not seen the video. Um, And it was something to the effect of, yeah, they gave it a two-star review and they said, the tone of this is really off-putting and it takes itself way too seriously. (laughs) So they nailed it. (laughs) Right. And and, and so, I mean, we're, we're obviously going to run that probably not on the podcast it's not podcastable not with that attitude yeah uh, but we're we're gonna run a just a really dirty depraved bizarrely uncomfortably sexual game at some point on the discord brilliant i can't wait yeah really looking forward to it speaking of future games uh duncan and i were discussing this uh sometime after the session last time where you know at the rate we're going, Curse of Strahd, you know, could take us, you know, perhaps the rest of our lives. But in the event that we do someday complete it, <laughs> I was saying, hey, what's next? What are we going to do? And what I put forth was while Duncan prepares whatever it is that we end up doing next, um, in the interim, I would 
run, like a mini campaign, uh, just to give him a break and let him just be a player. Uh, so my idea was that I was going to run uh, a mini campaign in the world of Demon Souls, and it would be you three journeying beyond the sixth Archstone. Ooh, since we never got that DLC. Exactly, and it's in- heavily inspired by Vati Vidya's Beyond the Six Hearthstone <laughs> art competition. Okay, good. The important part of that is, luckily, we've got some time because, like I said, Curse of Strahd could take a while. But before we do that, we all need to get PS5s and really sink our teeth into Demon Souls so that we all we all have a good understanding of what's going on by the time we get into that. So, uh, and I, I'm not joking about a single aspect of anything I just said. So, uh, you know, please get on that as soon as possible. I'm looking forward to... So, the nice thing about that, anybody who's played Demon Souls will know that the most powerful weapon in the game is your forehead. You just headbutt people and they die. <laughs> so, you, so, that's uh, <laughs> that's the unarmed, like, tilt forward attack thing. And you just you just beat the shit out of people with your face and, and it, it works every time. So... You don't even need weapons. It probably looks and sounds really good in the Blue Point remake, too. I'm sure it does. Uh, I'll transition here again. Another, along the same lines of what you brought up earlier, Duncan, of, hey, we keep mentioning Elite DM. What is that? We talk a lot, or I guess we don't talk a lot about it, but we mention Delta Green a lot, but I don't think we've ever really described it. And Probably a lot of people, even people who are into tabletop gaming, might not know what that is. So what is Delta Green? Uh, Delta Green is my favorite TTRPG. It's not what I started with. I, I, I don't think very many people start with Delta Green. Most people do that with D&D. But uh, a lot of people have played Call of Cthulhu. Delta Green started as a uh, an expansion or a module or, or something for uh, Call of Cthulhu. It's, I guess, really like a more specific setting. And the idea is, if, you're, if you know your Lovecraft, there's a particular... Lovecraft story called The Shadow Over Innsmouth. And the ending to that story is a lot different from the ending to his other stories. Most of the stories involve, you know, the protagonist learning something they never should have learned and going insane. In this story, some, you know, creepy otherworldly stuff happens and the feds actually get called in and raid this place and uh, quarantine what's happening and, and get to see it. Uh, and this takes place in a little New England town in, I think, 1928. It's you know, interwar period, anyway. And uh, the Delta Green universe really starts there. And the idea is, you know, what would things look like if the U.S. federal government became aware of unnatural extraterrestrial kind of activity... You know when when this raid got executed, and so this is kind of the this is a long answer. The short answer is Delta Green is if you crossed the X Files with the movie Sicario and made it a TTRPG, that would be Delta Green. That's an awesome, <laughs> awesome way to put it. That is that's the problem is it, it, everyone knows what the X Files is, but a lot of people don't have never seen Sicario. Well, maybe you've now prompted Sicario somebody to rectify that. Is a great film. It it's is so good. Uh, but, but yeah, so the, you know, how does it actually play? The answer is, you know, m- most Delta Green games are set in the modern day, although that's not always the case. And we, we have run Delta Green games that are set in the 70s. They are usually investigation-oriented. Combat is very deadly. You know, the players have low hit points. Uh, so there a lot of, it, it's, it tends to be a more methodical game. It's not like D&D in that regard. And... Uh, there's also a sanity mechanic, so a lot of it has to do with, you know, you really, well, you have to balance, because on the one hand, you're trying to solve these investigations, and so you need to pick up clues, but you also kind of want to avert your eyes, because the more you learn, the more unhealthy it is. It's really interesting. It's, uh, I think, harder to run than D&D, but probably easier to play for a lot of people, because I would the setting is one that they're actually familiar with, and so... You have a much better idea of you know what good questions to ask are, and you, you can. It's easier to use your imagination to figure out what your surroundings look like. One of the fun things about Delta Green that they tell you in the uh, like the DM manual, whatever the equivalent is for 
uh, Delta Green, is that because of the shit that the players are dealing with is so fucked up and like otherworldly, they're like, don't even worry about balancing it. <laughs> like, it it could be a curb stomp either way, and that's fine because the the ether from which all this stuff comes is is so like totally unrelated to the vagaries of our modern world that power imbalances are going to be frequent uh, and sometimes in your favor most of the time not uh so they're like yeah don't even worry about it it's fine yeah <laughs> which is a pretty funny piece of advice it is a it's definitely more of a meat grinder of a game there's a lot of pc death uh there's also there's a lot of pc um you know like your your player character could go insane to the point that they're no longer playable um, or your player character could get could be put in a situation where they are forced to or at least incentivized to kill one of the other player characters or put them in a situation that would get them killed um, so that can be kind of challenging because I've I've well I've played at tables where my PC has committed suicide which rubbed some people the wrong way but it seemed Imagine like a that. good decision at the time I, I don't think I've done this, but I've played... I, I know in a group I'm playing in now, at a session I wasn't at, some of the PCs turned on one of the other PCs and sacrificed him to something. Epic. I don't know all the details, but uh, that made that player pretty unhappy. <laughs> go, go, go figure. You know what I mean? But it, it's it, it's funny because you... Every table's different, every player's different, and you... When you read the Delta Green source books, I think it's easy to imagine, oh, everyone who plays this must go into it fully understanding that their PCs are likely to die and and so it's, you know, maybe not such a big deal or at least they're ready for it. That is not always the case. And uh, as a DM, it can be really tricky to handle that because I, I mean it just you, you don't know how people are gonna react when they're when their player characters die, and especially if it is as a result of decisions that other player characters made. But all in all, like I, I think it's a really fun game to run into play. It's it's very dark, but I, I really like investigation games that are well run, and we know from experience that that is tricky to do well from both sides of the table. Famously tricky. Yeah, um, but we're we're getting a lot better. We have come a very long way as a group on that. Interestingly, or interesting probably only to me, the uh, the Delta Green sessions that we did, uh, the the three shot that we did way back, uh, maybe, was that like a year ago? I don't even know. That sounds right. Uh, that was the first time I, I started using the art of podcast production that I do now. Uh, so really, this, uh, this podcast that we do for Late Afternoon Gaming is an evolution of something that uh, initially gestated then. Hmm. I remember oh, that one ended really well. I thought that one ended pretty well. Yeah. I guess that says something about how they typically end. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah, mean, if, if, if your does. characters walk away, then that's like a pretty remarkable ending. Yeah, and and that is a... I've gotten that reaction before, um, where, you know, I, I've played enough Delta Green that I'm, you know, thrilled to have a PC survive a scenario, like Shepard just alluded to, but, I mean, some of them are written... You know, with like no clear way that the PCs would survive, and so you'll you'll run one of these, and the players will walk away, and they'll be like, "Well, how was I ever supposed to, you know, come out on top there?" And you're like, "Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't accounted for that at all." Yeah, I, I mean, the reality of running games like this is, if you're really not going to railroad people, if you're going to let them decide what they're going to do, it's very hard to predict where they'll wind up by the end, and it's very common for you to have an obvious solution in mind that they never come up with. And it's just as common for you to not have any clear solution in mind. And they you know, right away come up with something that obviously breaks it. Right. And I would say that that's probably a bigger problem in Delta Green than something like Dungeons and Dragons. Because since you're placing them in like generally a modern-ish world, they are, they are they have more knowledge about the world than they would for, you know, in Ravenloft, right? Unless you're telling us about something, there's like it's unfair for us to make any assumptions. Whereas, right. like the opposite is true for Delta Green. If you don't tell me something, it's pretty fair for me to make an assumption about what that world should look like because it's the world I currently live in, by and large. Yeah. Now that introduces another 
uh, interesting element to running a Delta Green game. I, I don't know a lot of other people who do this, but something I like to do is, uh, if, it, if it really is a modern day game or a near modern day game, I will often make it, I, I call it Googleable. So, you know, I'll use real street addresses and, you know, with some limits, I will let the players, you know, they can Google things, they can use Google Maps or Street View, they can look at these locations, uh, you know, maybe the, some of the businesses involved or whatever, they'll, you know, will, they, they can Google that, I'll use real stuff there. That's really cool because I think it makes it much more immersive and it makes the players feel like they're part of a real investigation. The scary part is, since I cannot control the entire internet all at the same time, they will inevitably find stuff and it doesn't really work for me to say, oh no, 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 not that though, that's out of bounds. You know, I kind of have to roll with whatever they find, and if they find something that I hadn't when I was prepping for the game, then I just need to do a little bit of improvising. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's ever really stopped us too much, not that I can recall, but no. I also haven't played every game that you've run. Right, but at our table, you know, we we tend to be pretty good about the whole yes and thing. We weren't once upon a time, but we are now. But that is often Agreed. not the case. Like, I, I mean... I've seen this before, and I know you have too. There are a lot of players out there that are trying to beat you. I don't know who you're talking about right now. <laughs> you know, so if they can find something that they think you're not aware of and try to exploit it so they can win this game of Delta Green, you know, it's a, it's a very different dynamic. It's different when you're competing with the other people at the table. But how else will I win? Yeah. No, that's another thing, though. Is Others it, must like, fail. Uh, uh, yeah, a player, a player at a D&D &D game that is trying to beat the DM... You know, that's that's dumb, and it probably won't end well. But a, a Delta Green player trying to beat the handler is totally it's fucked. Suicidal. Yeah. Right, yeah, they, <laughs> they will get upset. But it's also suicidal entering the game to begin with. So what do you really have to lose? That's true. Good point, Jack. Only your friends. Yeah, and who... I don't have this I don't, anyway. yeah. Too late. Listen, I've, I've learned to live without them. Yeah. It's actually quite nice. I have a lot of free time. Uh, okay, good rundown. I just wanted to, to kind of settle that issue for anyone who might be wondering, what is Delta Green? That's a good point. And hey, Delta Green, I, actually, I guess I want to plug some stuff in. So uh, I'm not, I don't use this Discord anymore, but uh, there's a community that does a lot of Delta Green stuff called Night at the Opera. Uh, they have a subreddit and a Discord where they run like a big open table kind of situation. Uh, it's very cool. A lot of a lot of like interesting people that know a lot about the game and the lore and are constantly posting like news articles and stuff like that that feeds into it and makes it even more interesting. So if anyone wants to get into Delta Green but they don't know where to start and they don't know where they would find anyone willing to play, Night at the Opera is absolutely the place to go. They're always running stuff. Hey, that's actually a convenient segue into something that I think I might... Excuse me. I think I might incorporate it into the introduction, but speaking of subreddits, we now have a subreddit. Um, excuse me. The subreddit is called... <laughs> I hope you Late include this gaming. audio unedited. We have yeah, a subreddit. No, <laughs> yeah. um, we got a new subreddit, Morty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Toilet exactly. flushing in the background. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, but we do have a subreddit. It's called Late Afternoon Gaming. Um... And my vision for that, if our community ever ends up growing in any sense, is that uh, one of the things I'll have there uh, is, you know, if if our multitudes of fans want us to talk about something during table talk, there'll be suggestions there. We are not beholden to them by any stretch, but, you know, there'll be some a chance for some feedback. I also put up our uh, contact email address in the description of the podcast. So wherever you get the podcast, you should be able to see that. It's lateafternoongaming at gmail.com. Uh, we we do seriously want to hear from you. Uh, we've put like joke questions up before about oh you know what do the listeners think about whatever like seriously email us lateafternoongaming at gmail .com. Tell us what you think. We've never done anything like this before. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and by we of course I, I mean me because I do all of this. <laughs> um, but you know I'll share I'll share the things that make me look good with the rest of everybody else. Um. Okay, like I said, I'm going to put that in the intro as well, saying, hey, we now have a this and that. And then, uh, uh, Jack, I'll put you in charge of running the Discord once we really get off the ground. Okay, yeah, uh, that'll go well. <laughs> See, if we, 
once we, you know, get the Patreon up and running and, and we're, we're really, we're raking in all that actual play money, then we can pay for a website so I can have, you know, Duncan at late That's called a web zone. Get it right. Yeah, uh, web zone. Yeah. 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 yeah web zone. Speaking of, when are we going to get a web zine? Web, ooh. Oh, yeah. wow. Now, Jack, yeah. I think your, your excellent, um, IT, well, not IT skills, but your uh, graphic design skills will really come into play mm. when we make our webzine. Yeah, I'll, I'll get yeah, Jack, you're it. a you're a computer guy, right? Right. Like, you yeah, know about I, computers? I know how to use Excel, which means, uh-huh. according to the okay. people I work with, I can do anything. Can you make a website for us using Visual Basic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm on. Dude, no joke. One of the guys today was like, I've got all of these, I've got these cells filled in Excel. And there's like thousands of them. And I really wish there was a way for me to identify the highest one without manually scrubbing through them. Oh my <laughs> god. What, like, a, what a tough problem. You're not going to believe this. <laughs> yeah. It's Microsoft three letters. taking notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's M I N. And then uh... I was talking to the, some of the younger people I work with, and I was like, this is why we can get ahead. They have technical knowledge. But they're also idiots, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, right. Mm. Yeah, being multimedia wizards uh, like us, you know, it, it's really important. Uh, speaking of multimedia, uh, yeah. So I, I was toying with the idea. I'll rewind a little bit. When we did the Tomb of Annihilation campaign, I made videos uh, for every session. Uh, problem with that? Well, multiple problems. One, I didn't put a lot of work into it, so it was basically totally unedited. Uh, when it came to the actual content of the game, the only thing I took out were breaks uh, and everything else stayed in. So if we played a seven hour session, it was a seven hour video. <laughs> and uh, Which I'm sure was know, fascinating start to finish. Yeah, because yeah, nobody watched them and I don't blame them. Yeah, and um, a- any listeners who think, wow, I would really like to get access to that you content. Won't, you will not. Again, yeah. you, not. Not only yeah. do you not, will you not get access, but you, you don't want it. Yeah, it's, it's not worth it. You should it. be thanking so, us for gating that off. I, I briefly described what I do now, but in summary, you know, if we might have like, let's say a two hour session and then I cut out a bunch of, you know, useless shit, whether it's die rolling or whatever. But then I also use a function in Audacity called truncate silence. So if there's any gaps in us just, you know, kind of futzing around or, you know, Duncan's flipping through his notes or we're kind of collecting our thoughts or whatever. I just shorten all of that. So there's no break in what we do. So a two hour session might end up being an hour and 20 minutes, hour 15, something like that, right? You can't really do that with video because it'll be really choppy, but when it's just audio, you can get rid of it. So I made a video the other day uh, where I've, I've had this problem with podcasts in the past, right? We're a bunch of, you know, adult males that to someone who doesn't know us, it might be somewhat difficult to distinguish us, you know, from each other. From a little, or for a little bit as you get started. So I thought, hey, I'll make a video where, since I've got all these different audio tracks, the you know the video will somehow indicate who's talking, um, right? Which is pretty easy if you're using uh, you know any sort of video editing software. Probably has something that lets you do that as long as you've got different uh, audio files. So I did that, but for our hour and fifteen minute session, it took me like two days to render it uh, because. <laughs> uh, my my computer is is aging slightly, and After Effects is not friendly to uh, computers that only have like 16 gigs of RAM. <laughs> and uh, it's insane to me. Yeah, well, it, yeah, my motherboard is, has had some issues. I made it in 2016, so it's it's showing its age. Why didn't you just download um, some more? So I tried, and uh, I'm just getting a lot of pop-ups now. It's not really helping. Yeah, he right. didn't have the bandwidth because <laughs> his motherboard doesn't support that either, so he couldn't download. Mm-hmm. More RAM. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, so I won't be doing that, that again in the future. Unless whenever I end up getting a new computer, uh, if it can handle doing that like very quickly, like maybe in a couple hours as opposed to a couple days, then uh, maybe I'll I'll do that for like, you know, whatever happens after the after or beyond the sixth Archstone mini campaign. But, uh, but yeah, probably not because... Uh, by the time we get there, people should know who we are, and they shouldn't need help identifying us anyway. But hey, so, I did want to oh, sorry. mention... So I made a sick background for the video, and I chose some animal <laughs> avatars for everybody. Um, yeah, can you explain the backstory behind each of them? 
Yeah, I would yeah, really so like that. I picked an owl for Duncan because that just felt that's like classic, right? He's the DM, so it's like this kind of you know wise, elevated kind of thing. Right, because um, I like Tootsie Pops. Because you like Tootsie Pops, right? Uh, I picked a tiger for myself uh, because my character is a cat. That was the extent of my logic there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I picked a gorilla for Jack. Um, and uh, in I honor of Harambe. <laughs> well, of course, Harambe was you know usually forefront of my mind, but uh, gorillas are, are like you know these big hulking monstrosities, much like Jack is in real life. Uh-huh. Um, but they're generally like uh, they're not like super aggressive, and they're largely vegetarian. Uh, so, which Jack also is in real life. Yeah, they just kill um, for sport. They typically don't eat. <laughs> <laughs> they just murder exactly. things if they piss them off. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that, like, I think that describes Jack too. It's he, he's also playing a uh, a barbarian character. They're usually pretty muscly. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, gorilla fits. Um, and then for Nerf, I picked a fox. Uh, and my entire thing was for him. I was like, okay, Cockabee is a goblin, like. What what animal kind of looks like a goblin? And I really couldn't. I was thinking like a snake or something. A fox or I, just sounds like it. goblins. Uh, so uh, all I did was well, goblins have big ears. Foxes have big ears. <laughs> so <laughs> so deep. It. Uh, yeah. It, so it, it was a pretty robust uh, criteria for selecting these animals. But uh, we we have talked very briefly about the thumbnail image that we have on the podcast. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. maybe these animal avatars will, you know, make our make their way into whatever the next image is. Not to mention, you know, maybe endear us to the, what I assume is a large percentage of our audience that are furries. Right. I know Jack is a furry yeah. IRL. Well, so. skinny, actually, but... That's right. You know, mm-hmm. That'll be especially helpful if the videos never actually go up, because that means literally no context unless they happen to have listened to this which i believe will be session 6.5 right but it's the uh, right that's how you separate the super fan versus <laughs> okay. just like the normies right. right which by the way there is i have a flair for the subreddit called super fan mm-hmm. so i want there to be a nice know. high barrier to entry for this right what well, I, I, I want us to have rich lore you know where we have fans that are passionate enough about the show that you know like we have wiki pages where people speculate about like what we do for a living and uh you know all the miscellaneous other side stuff that we talk about um you know and i want it badly enough that i may do it myself you may start generating content right i i may pretend to be a super fan and make all kinds of guesses yeah usually we put jack in charge of making all the bots that like farm yeah. Uh, podcast downloads and stuff like that. Yeah, but, if you right, listen to yeah. our podcast, you're actually um, mining Bitcoin for us in the background. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Picturing Jack in his bedroom with a rack of like rooted Android phones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's always been the case. Now they just have a purpose. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, now Dogecoin. They... Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, we're trying to make money here. Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of the Sheeb army. <laughs> Speaking of which, how's that game stonks going for you? Yeah, it's fine. I still have the... I haven't bought or sold any of that in like half a year. I'm just sitting on it. I'm basically even at the moment. I'm just going to see if it does anything. Fuck it. <laughs> I love it. That's the spirit. Uh, diamond Hands, Buy Hold, DRS, Computer Share. I don't know what the fuck you just said. If you know, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my fellow apes out there. So I was actually wondering if that's why you did a gorilla, by the way. No, I don't know what the and, fuck And now you know about. it's not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, all of the, all of the like, degenerates who are completely fucking obsessed with this shit, and there's a subreddit for it that I look at every once in a while because it's hilarious, refer to themselves as apes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure, why not? See, I wish I was part of a cool subculture. But well, I wouldn't call it cool. Instead, I'm playing D D with you guys on friday night. yeah well but we're trying to create a new subculture yeah uh, specific to our actions yeah so. i still wouldn't call Let's it see. cool mm-hmm. uh one one last thing that i had on my list of of topics here was and this may go nowhere uh again i mentioned earlier that in the ombudsman report that i had been on D horror stories 
And uh, so when I was reading those, uh, so one thing I commented on the Discord was the real horror of that uh, subreddit is the grammar and spelling in it. It's just god awful. Uh, like I wouldn't read a lot of the entries just because it's like this one wall of text with no like paragraph breaks and the just these all these run on sentences and I just I was not interested in trying to dissect it. But the essence of it interested me because you know we talk a little bit about you know I I often lament the fate of my not very good <laughs> campaign that I ran for Duncan and his buddies. Uh, we talk about how. Uh, turbulent the Tomb of Annihilation campaign was from time to time. Ultimately, when I'm looking at some of these things, I'm like, hey, you know what? Our worst days weren't nearly as bad as what some of these people were saying. Um, but I'm curious, are there any like really great or really bad D&D moments that we've had that anyone wants to anyone wants to share for old time's sake? One of the like D&D horror stories, you read it and there are things that happen that are both unpleasant and exciting or funny. And I, I guess just to, to explain very briefly what we're talking about when we talk about these other games is Shepard ran a shortish homebrew campaign in person for me and a couple of my friends. It was you had not been DMing for very long and we had not been playing for very long, if at all. You had yeah. This was the first time any any of you except one had ever played D anD D. Right, and and so none of us really knew what we were doing very well. Um, there was also a fair amount of like real life tension that was seeping into the table uh, from a couple mm-hmm. of different angles, and right. uh, the result was just like a really unpleasant uh, game that involved a lot of personal sniping. Um, on yeah. top of the cluelessness of not knowing how to play properly, uh, right? So it, that was, but but the there was nothing like there was nothing exciting. Nothing happened there that would you know, not that I think anyone there was interested in talking to other people about it. But nothing happened that would make a good story. It was just unpleasant. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And um, I, I would yeah, say that this, more this, this the way was, to phrase it, like in a way that it, you know makes it funny in retrospect, right? And I mean it. It just wasn't funny. It wasn't fun. And, and and I think that was also, I mean, true to a lesser degree just because we'd been playing for a little longer when I ran my game. So we, you know, we, we played that campaign. It didn't go very well. We didn't play much of anything together for a little while, but I think all of us wanted to play something. And then I volunteered to run a campaign having never run anything before. And then mm-hmm. the first time I ran anything was the session zeros, so independent, you know, one person sessions leading up to the campaign. And then we started the session and we had six players. And to, to run this like very ambitious, detailed campaign, you know, your first time really running anything with six people at the table was that was a terrible, uh, like, I, I just very didn't, ambitious. I didn't know better. Uh, and, uh, that was, I left the first session going like, holy shit, like, what did I sign myself up for? Um, not to mention there was still some unpleasantness going on, um, that had not been resolved from, you know, what was going on at the previous table. And so over the, well, over the course of the campaign, we lost two of the six players for various reasons. And, uh, by the end of it, we had... We had figured out what worked for us, and it was considerably more fun. Um, yes, like the last like last like five sessions or so, where we were in the actual tomb of annihilation, went like way smoother in general. And it was yeah. like we, it's like we after because that was like thirty five sessions in, we right. like finally hit our groove. <laughs> but I mean, it was still you know tainted by two campaigns worth of of badness and. Uh, yeah, and, and it was never what I wanted it to be. I would love to, you know, redo that campaign knowing what I know now, uh, yeah, at some point in the future. But we've played a lot of smaller games since then. They have all been better than that. And we've done a lot of, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, just personal leveling up and mm-hmm. getting better at communicating and being more realistic about you know, how it's going to be at the table, that kind of thing. And so this campaign uh, is way better, more fun, less stressful uh, than 
um, than the previous campaigns, but it very much feels like a graduation. You know, we had a lot of, like, a lot of bullshit to wade through before we could get here. All right, well, this segment has been much less funny than I expected it to be. Yeah, sorry. It turns out, listeners, that, uh, you know, this is hard, and sometimes things are shitty before they're good. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, you know, again, I think that I think that we do a good job now, but, you know, to summarize everything you just said, we took a very, very long time to get here because we started, I started my session with you and your friends. When was that? 2018, probably. Uh, that's as of the time. It's October 2021 now. Yeah, that sounds right. So it, it's been years uh, to get here, uh, where like things work pretty well. And like mm-hmm. I said, even even at our worst, you know, I we we weren't as bad as a lot of the stuff that I see. And of course, I'm cherry picking. It's a subreddit called Horror Stories. It's about the worst of the worst, right? Um, right, but I mean, it, it no, wasn't great. It was never violent. There was one occasion when people were yelling at each other, uh, and and you know that that never happened again. But uh, along the way, like we did lose people, right? Uh, and, and that's something I had mentioned before too. Is like sometimes, right, even if there's nothing going wrong, some people like they're just not compatible in this sense, right? Like the game I want is just as a player is too different than what Duncan wants to do as a DM. That doesn't make either of us wrong. It's probably just easier for us to find other tables or, you know, find a new arrangement that doesn't involve each other. That's okay. Um, it's just when you won't compromise, but you also won't leave, that's when that's when the problems happen, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I want to put one final note on before we move on, and that's whether you're a player or a DM at, you know, in a given game, you got to understand that any kind of criticism or really like any impact you have on the table will have an outsized effect or it will have an effect on the people at the table that scales to the amount of investment they have in that game. And what that usually means is if anything critical is said or if anything positive is said, the DM is going to feel it more than anyone else because they usually are the, the person that spends more time and energy on it than anyone else. So if you are in a situation where you're a player and you know you maybe put in a couple of minutes of prep between sessions, but mostly you're showing up to play, um, but you have a DM that's spending hours a week preparing for this, little things that you might not think about uh, or you know, intend as just you know, good-natured criticism are like that can very quickly uh, become extremely unpleasant. So, uh, you know, little compliment. It, it goes both ways, though. You know, little compliments also mean a lot. Uh, so, I, I would say bear bear that in mind. Uh, and and you know, same same for here. Like Shepard puts in a ton of work doing, you know, all of the logistics for this, putting up the podcast and everything that that goes behind that. And so. Uh, you know, recognize the effort people are putting in and understand that this is a, like, by its nature, this hobby is lopsided. There are going to be people at your table that are more or less involved than you. I don't know. You guys want to weigh in on that? Yeah. Uh, so if if I were forced to characterize it as such, I would say, right, you're in charge of the campaign. I'm in charge of the podcast. Yeah, um, that's accurate. And it's... Uh, Nerf is in charge of the server, and I'm in charge of nothing at all. Uh-huh. As we've mentioned several times, you're in charge of possibilities our, in- uh, are static and low. I bring the laughs, but, and I'm very bad at my job. <laughs> you're in charge of um, our to be built Discord server. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you'll that be in charge of something. Yet, yeah, <laughs> you'll because we live in very different time zones. You'll be uh, you'll be the daytime moderator of the subreddit, uh, and then I'll okay. be the, the nighttime moderator of the subreddit. Um, but anyway, uh, fortunately for me. Uh, you, my work requires virtually no creativity uh, beyond, you know, a very, very small amount that it, I did at the beginning. Now it's entirely technical um, and there's no emotion involved, right? All I'm doing is like, you know, leveling out audio and cutting out ums and <laughs> stuff like that. So even though I would, I invest a lot of time into it, um, it it's just basically menial labor and it, I don't have much of an emotional attachment to it other than a feeling of satisfaction when complete. Um, the DM job 
The DM job when done poorly is difficult, and when done well is even more difficult. So I do want to uh, throw out that. Oh shit, we forgot the inspiration thing again. Fuck! <laughs> I knew I was forgetting something. Um. Yeah. Uh, Jack, would you like to begin the uh, inspiration <laughs> recommendations? Ah. Uh, hmm. I gotta cast my mind back. Um, I'll kick off the inspiration nomination. Um, I'd like to nominate Jack from last session. I thought both of his encounters with um, with the guy who was following us and then with the the two people we were following where he like got in their faces to distract him were hilarious. Wow. Thanks, Nerf. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this yesterday, which makes it all the more silly that I forgot to bring it up again <laughs> uh, until the very end here. But... Uh, but yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really have anyone that I was going to nominate. We, nothing really stood out to me last session, to be honest. Yeah, um, I was, I took me a moment to remember exactly what we did after returning from the, from the Vistani camp, but it was basically you know just the whole Mil- Milavosh thing and then heading back to the tavern. I'm going to open it up and yeah, if you want to give one of my NPCs inspiration, you go for it. <laughs> uh, Isaac. He wasn't in last session, but I want him to have it. Yeah, I, I got nothing. I'll go with Jack, that's fine. Go with Jack, as in you agree with me, and you think Isaac should get inspiration? No, I mean, you should get the inspiration. <laughs> okay. um, but uh, I will note that now Jack is, like, swimming in inspiration because he's the only one who didn't use his D4 from last time. Right. Oh, man. Does is inspiration carry over, or is it just, like, for that session? <clears throat> DM. We'll say it carries over. Cool. Oh, he's got rollover oh, man. <laughs> inspiration. Yeah. I have Watch two inspirations guy. and a D4. Wow. Remember, you can use them on others. That's true. <laughs> not that not that Jack ever would. I'm going to use it on Isaac. There we go. I really want him to get Barina. <laughs> nice. I think I think that his heart's in the, the right place. He's going to get the girl at the yeah. end. Yeah. He's going to protect her from all those monsters. 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 Okay. Still my favorite encounter of the entire <laughs> the entire campaign <laughs> so far. <laughs> it was it was pretty good. It was so good. I like all our encounters with Father Lucian. I think those are really exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you written the full sermon that we can listen to at some the, point? I was reading the sailor's sermon from Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and just oh, instead of talking about God, I was talking about the morning Lord. So I, I, I regret that I didn't, uh, when we were talking to him earlier, and then we like huddled off to the side, I regret that I didn't just loop you doing that sermon really <laughs> quietly <laughs> underneath it. Um, oh, that, that would be would, really funny. That would have been a, just a great one. So if we ever talk to him again, I'm going to end up doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would just be so stupid. 